This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Welcome to the Money Pot. I'm Rachel Morrissey. I'm here with Ian Horn, who is our head of content in the EU. And they have been busy, busy trying to put together our show for Money 2020 EU. So Ian, talk to me about what you got planned for Amsterdam. Oh, we have so, so much planned, Rachel. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin, but we've got a real treat for you. We've got Maria Prados from WorldPay, and she is going to talk about uh, vertical payments and and just these nuances that we're getting, like with the growth of embedded finance and individual payment experiences, and how we really take things to the next level. So really exciting stuff and really on trend. Oh, that's great! So let's go to our interview with Ms. Prados. So Maria Prados from FIS WorldPay. Hi, great hey, to have yeah. you here. Um, how are you feeling today? Yes, I'm feeling great. Like really honored to be here. Brilliant. And, and thanks. You've made it all the way over from Spain to London for this. So we're really appreciative of your time. We're going to give you a liberty we never usually give our speakers. We have we have a rule at Money 2020, which is that no one, once they're on stage, gets to introduce themselves. You know, we like to make the most of that time. That time on stage is precious. But Maria, you get the chance to tell us who you are. Because I didn't give you a big instru- introduction there, did I? I didn't give you a long introduction. So for everyone listening, again, job title, what you do, and some of your career background too. Maria, tell us tell us more about who you are. Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. So yes, my name is Maria, like you say, and I've been at WorldPay for nine years now. There's been a lot of change. I'm not sure how much you've followed the company or not, but it was, I joined right after the spinoff. So we IPO'd. We were bought by Vantif bought by FIS. And now it's on the news that we're spinning off of FIS, right? So a lot happening right now in the industry. What I do is I look after vertical and go-to-market. So like as I said before, it is very important that we really understand our different verticals. And because we work, especially with global enterprises, we work in a very complex industry, which is the payments industry, as you know, then we have a lot of products, different products, tons of innovation that keeps coming up and very large merchants that have very, very special and specific needs. So the only way really to get it right is by having this like vertical strategy and vertical model that we're working on. So these last nine years, I've been doing a lot of that for WorldPay, the bigger WorldPay, and now like the separated company uh, in WorldPay as well. But then before, funny enough, I did not work in payments and I worked in retail, setting up e-com departments and omnichannel departments back then when Amazon was a bit of a threat for everyone and no one really knew what to do. And we always saw payments a little bit as the black box. And we were seeing our traffic coming on our website and then suddenly they entered into this black box and some came out and some didn't come out. And they're like, hey, what's going on in here, right? Like they're at the bottom of the conversion funnel. Anything that we can do, like 0.1% improvement is that goes directly into the bottom line while we were spending so much money to drive traffic to our sites. Uh, so that's when we started thinking like, hey, there's something in here that, either not right or not working well. So I actually did a lot of work with WorldPay back then into uh, getting more into the analytics and how things should work. And that's when I was just had the opportunity to move into the dark side, I guess. <laughs> dark side. Is the, it the dark side? Is it really? It, it is not, right? But for the merchants, sometimes it kind of is because like, hey, you're seeing all of our data and I, I need to see more. You need to tell me more of what's happening. How do we improve? How do we uh, increase the conversion rates? How do we decrease the cost and things like that? So my job now, my team's job is to make sure that payments become that strategic 
kind of discussion with everyone around the table because it does make an impact for all of our merchants. Yeah, I love that. So you, you saw the value of what you do now in, in a previous role. That's essentially... Definitely. And I knew nothing about it. So I was like, <laughs> hey, just open all of the doors. We should be accepting any time of payment. Obviously, I know that we can't do that anymore. <laughs> Brilliant. We're looking at, you know, this year's theme we've got is now and next. We want to focus on the things a big today, but we're also looking to the future, right? all those exciting, crazy things that are going to form money 2020 and 2033 rather than 23 as well. So imagine I'm sliding you a big bag of money. I don't do that very often. I should make that very clear. And you're able to invest half of it in a company that you have to sell in a year. The rest of it, you invest in a company you're selling 10 years from now. I'm going to come back to you at the end of the interview, but just think about that one. Let us know what they'll be, and then we'll see see what you're going with for your now and next. So let's go into your topic a bit more. Let's go into verticals. And one, that you look at gaming. I mean, obviously, there was a huge influx in gaming during the lockdown, but generally speaking, it's a massive growing market. I mean, I've, I've certainly gotten involved myself. I don't think many people get involved in airliner work without having a bit of a bit of a nerdy side, do they? So I, I've been, you know, joining the masses on that. But you've recently released the Global Gaming Payments Report, and I'm really intrigued to know what you found from that. So what are the key findings? Yes. So uh, first of all, like you say, on lockdown, we saw an increase in gaming, right? Gaming is a very large part of our book, and we work with a lot of gaming operators across the world. Everything moved online, not only on gaming and all of the different verticals, right? So online casinos and online poker was kind of like the big thing during lockdown. There's also a little bit of the not that positive story as like the inland casinos were closed and like the sport books, there was no betting on any sport event as those things like were dead, right? But at the end, it was kind of like a bit of a positive. But the thing about gaming is that, and especially for us, that we only work in regulated markets. So regulation is at the heart of everything that happens in gaming. And to some people say like, oh, it's a controversial vertical. Something. I mean, the minute you have the right our regulation around it and you have the operators really wanting to make sure that there are the proper limits on what anyone's spending on and then that you also have the um, all of the checks to make gambling responsible right i think that doesn't become a big thing anymore it just becomes part of whatever it's same way you can buy clothes you can gamble as long as it is within your limits and your gambling responsible. So I think that's that's been good. On the gaming global payments report, like you say, that we launch every year, which is fantastic and our customers love and the industry love, I think we're seeing a lot about the new trends and some of the things like doing things faster. So there's a lot around real-time payments in there, open banking, and how those things are going to start shaping up the industry more. And a big thing that we're starting to see, especially in North America, because not sure if you know, but a lot of the states are now regulated. So you can gamble in there. And big things around like this omnichannel experience, right? So how these face-to-face casinos want to do much more on the digital world with like digital wallets. And that also allows uh, the operators to have more control over like this responsible gaming because now you identify one person, they are, oh, they're playing in here and in this other channel and not in the other one. So the, the more everything goes digital, the more visibility there's going to be. And I think the better the industry is going to get. Yeah. Let me jump in on that question actually as well, because 
the online security aspect's huge, and there's so many areas. To it. As you say, there's gambling protection to make sure people don't behave against their own best interests. And there's also, if you look at gaming, you know, I'm sure anyone who's got young children will probably have a lot of <laughs> concern over the ease of which microtransactions can be made and things like that. So how do we, you know, facilitate this growing world of gaming payments and at the same time, keep things within the realms of, of safety you know what, what's going on there yes and i think like we said regulation is key but also making sure that everyone has that conscious of growth for the sake of growth is not really going to land anywhere you need to think about sustainable growth right and that is when you want to create those operators and that's how we work with our operators to say okay this needs to be a long-term game and the only way you can maintain the long term growth is if you do things right, right? So there is that piece that regulation pushes, but then there's a lot of like concern and it's top priority, top of mind for like the biggest operators. So they, I mean, regulation is just needed in the industry and we don't see a lot of like bad behavior in that front. I think you make a massive point there actually, which is like, don't do growth for the sake of growth because regulatory risk, of course, is a, is a huge thing. If you want a long-term success, you need to be actually acting in a way that benefits the people making the payments, right? And I think that's a really good takeaway from that. I mean, the second thing to look at is digital wallets. Now, obviously, they become so commonplace now, and they're a big part in the race for e-commerce. Now, look, our view is quite worldwide rather than just being European, even though we are Money 2020 Europe. I'm really keen to know which regions are standing out right now in, in this race towards digital wallets and, and really nailing that process. Who's winning out? Yeah, so actually, like this last year and a half or so, we're seeing that all of the regions are using more and more digital wallets. So maybe three years ago or so, we saw that like Asia, China especially, was kind of like driving a lot of this usage, right? And I believe there's more than 80% of the market share in there for digital wallets, which is ridiculous, right? With Alipay and WeChat Pay. And that was kind of like being pushed to a lot of the more of Europe and then eventually the US. But now, and we also have our global payments report, right, that looks a little bit more across all of the verticals, but more into the regions. We're seeing that it's now growing across every single region. And actually, even more exciting than that is that across both channels as well, because it started as a digital or an e-com payment method, right? And that's where we were seeing most of the growth, but still point of sale, there was still a lot of cash, card payments. Now it's also like one third of the payments uh, happen with a digital wallet. So you're seeing that this consumer is just used to really the simplicity and the security that the digital wallets have. And it just unlocks all of those obstacles of having to go in store and like pay with a card. Oh, for sure. I mean, another thing here is that people's relationships with their money are so personal. And those things are also quite cultural as well. Are, are there any regions where you've found that actually digital wallets haven't taken up as quickly as you thought they might? Probably the US. So the US is always that very large country. And probably they still pay with like checks, which to me, in my Spanish mind is crazy. But they still do it, right? So it is there's a lot of reasons behind that, right? Because uh, it's been one of the countries where they set up their whole uh, payments industry and infrastructure the earliest. So the legacy systems are massive. So someone like a country like China that just skips a technology generation and goes completely online with like 
cell phone. They don't have to overcome all of those legacy things that the U.S. has, right? So also the, um, the market is massive, right? And so in there, you see the things are probably not taken off as much as they did. And then, but these years now we're seeing tons of very, very strong brands like Apple Pay or Google Pay and anything, all these big wallets in there that are just really now getting the phones up to speed and just making it so much simpler that then the market is just starting to grow. I could dwell on this for ages. In particular, I could dwell on American people using checks. I used to live there for a year and still, uh, for the life of me, it makes no sense. But <laughs> without wanting to make fun of people's usage of checkbooks, instead, I've got one more question. We need to keep this one a bit snappy, though, which is embedded insurance. Now, I think this is a really interesting area. Can you tell us what's going on there? Embedded insurance, and it's part of like the whole embedded finance kind of boom, right, that we've been seeing more and more of. But I just think it's an amazing new channel for insurance companies to have their product a little bit more next, like close to whatever product it is that you're buying. Because insurance has always been like traditionally an afterthought. Like you buy something and then you think, oh, I need to insurance if it's important to me. But now what we're seeing with the whole embedded experience is that at checkout, you already have it in there. And so the consumers are much more likely to buy it at that point. So sales could increase. Plus you don't see it more as an afterthought. You see it more like hey, this is important to me. I'm putting a lot of money into this. So I just want to make sure that the insurance is right there. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think this is the flip side to what we were talking about earlier with gaming, where it can be too easy for people to spend. I think almost in life, there aren't enough prompts for people to do sensible things like get insurance or have income protection and so on and so forth. So it's really, really interesting area. And we're keen to get your thoughts on that in Amsterdam. And who do you look up to in your industry? There's a lot of people that I enjoy, but I'm a big promoter of getting more women into the industry. And it's felt a bit that is more like a male-dominated industry. So I'm always uh, trying to keep up with a lot of the new startups that are coming from like founders that are women and um, how do we actually educate because a lot of it, I think, is the education piece. So how do we educate from very early stages that money invest in it's something that girls and women should know about as well so i can think of like the company your juno i don't know if you've heard about it a uh, new app that two women have founded does exactly this like how do you get all of this financial education to women and so that they can feel more and more comfortable getting into into our industry so people like that that really want to make a difference within our world are the people that i look up to awesome we love that stuff here whose linkedin should we blow up after this is there some person who you could recommend we all look up that we would really learn a lot from following if you're like in retail you should definitely follow Hollywurst. If you're gaming, Alex Morgan Moody, anything around financial services, Alex Aristov, and uh, government or utilities, Talco is uh, Jeff DeLong, and then airlines and travel is Thomas Haldorf. Perfect. See, that's what we're doing here. We're making people's LinkedIn's really, really pop. And I'm only charging a small amount for that service, by the way. Uh, <laughs> okay. Go on to the next part of this. I put it on my tierney. <laughs> so you're going to be speaking on stage, of course, as we mentioned earlier. What three takeaways do you want the Money 2020 audience to leave with? So I think it's very important to look at user experience, right? So and when I say user experience, it's both like the merchant experience, which is kind of like our customers in the industry, but also their end consumer experience. Because, uh, like I said, it's a very complex industry. Things are moving 
very fast. There's tons of legacy systems as well with a lot of new innovation that maybe don't connect that easily. So how do we make it more seamless for everyone to get to where they need to get? And um, I think it's very important, like new payment methods as they come up that are going to simplify checkout or things that you can automate that are more like admin pieces, but also making sure that you have the right levels of security around. That's pretty big for me. Uh, probably the second one is around digital transformation. And uh, we've talked in the gaming space, but same thing for retail, right? Like how do you get those omni-channel kind of channels and go-to-market pieces together? And how does it become seamless for the end consumer to end up paying at any point, anywhere, at any time, really, right? So it's no longer a nine-to-five job. It becomes like 24-7. And then the third one kind of linked to a little bit of the insurance piece we're talking about is that all of these big embedded finance. So it's that we're seeing a lot, a lot of non-financial companies entering into the industry, which I actually think is fantastic because we're just growing an industry that was already large. It's now becoming even larger. So how do we partner with those big merchants to make sure that they have everything that they need at that point of checkout to offer the best solution for the end consumer. Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating point, isn't it? How everything is becoming tailored to the actual experience that the payment is being used for. I think there's so much going on there. Going back to the the now and next theme that we have, but this isn't the one that I asked you earlier. No, go ahead. I'm going to keep it within vertical payments. What's the big thing right now, do you think? And then building from that, let's go five, seven, eight years down the line. Is there something that you think will become big in your sector that maybe might surprise us? But let's start with now. Okay, so I feel like there's been a lot of now and still is now, like meaning a lot of the topics that we've been talking for a while are still here because we haven't really found the perfect recipe, right? So uh, things like we're talking about before, uh, like the whole digital transformation, COVID definitely helped, right? That pushed our industry and everybody's industries, what, three, five years forward in just like a year and a half. But still, there's a lot of things that we need to overcome that we need to make sure that it becomes more seamless. So uh, I think that's still a now. Um, we're still starting to see more of like this embedded finance, embedded payment space. I think that is a big thing at the minute. We're having a lot of conversations with our customers about this, like how do we partner better to offer these services? And and I love that because it doesn't become more like a customer-provider relationship anymore. It's really is a partnership because it's like, hey, I want to build on this. How do I do it, right? New business models like marketplaces, right? Like now it's just growing like crazy. So especially in retail, we're seeing a lot of retailers and massive ones like Walmart, right? And those that are saying, well, you know what? I could actually reduce the investment I have in stock if I can open up a marketplace and I can also help a lot of newer brands come through my website. So how do we build? That has tons of implications for payments, for example. So how do we build that together? And um, so I think that's kind of like the now. The future, I like to be very, very futuristic, right? Like So things like the metaverse. I mean, I am obsessed. That is crazy. And um, a lot, I mean, there's the use cases are very obvious in some verticals like gaming, right? So who wouldn't want to just play in this amazing new world? But then you definitely don't want to take your 
headset or whatever it is to go and pay somewhere. So you just want to buy your stuff while you're there in the experience, right? Uh, Which would be great. But I think it has also a lot of implications around other verticals like education and ed tech. It's just kind of something that I uh, that I love, as I said before, with with my kids. So imagine that if when you need to learn the Roman Empire that I was actually learning with my kid last week, funny enough, you could actually see it and you could be like in Rome in that and then go in the Colosseum and see like all of this happening they would just learn it like this rather than have to read and repeat everything that had happened, right? So I think the applications in all of those pieces are are amazing and there's a lot that needs to happen, but I'm really excited about that one. Oh, me too. The metaverse is like, we could we could talk about that for hours. And, and at one point, I think all the characters are going to have legs as well, which is quite exciting. Yes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> without making too much fun of it, I, I, I happen to think it's a massive opportunity too. What do you think the payment rails of the metaverse are going to be? Yeah, so that's a great question, right? Like we've been discussing and we've doing we've been doing some demos with more like virtual reality, so kind of like first step to the metaverse. And how does that actually first, how does it feel comfortable for a shopper to pay, right? Because payments also has this security thing around it all the time. So even if you make the most secure kind of payment tech process if the shopper doesn't feel that it's secure it's just not going to work and just a funny stat we did a lot of research and thought and thought leadership around this we found out that on the checkout pages when our customers have like this lock icon at the checkout the conversion increased and you know that doesn't mean anything just that just just like a designer really adding it into it yeah so i think that that piece is really important so the user or the shopper or whoever it is in whichever vertical or the player needs to feel comfortable making that payment so that's kind of like step one and then the other piece is more around the more operate how, how does it operate right so you could think that like blockchain, for example, is just the obvious one uh, where you where it could work. But and then we've also made some kind of like things where you actually put your in virtual reality, you get a virtual card and you tap it into one like card press machine, whatever it is. Which is silly again, because it's all in reality, and then you push it through a card no press and rails, and those things just start to get exciting because there's a million different ways that you could do this oh absolutely and again that could be an hour-long conversation couldn't it but i i should move us along back to that question i asked a while back that bag of money that i slid across the table to you half of it goes on something that you have to sell out a year from now what's that company that you're going to pick i'm not going to say a name of a company but i'm going to tell you that where i would put the money okay okay that works so i would put the money on B2B payments for the short term, hopefully. <laughs> but it might be midterm. I actually think like we've been so obsessed with B2C that B2B is like, I don't know, 10 years behind where we are with B2C at the minute. And the flow of money is much larger than it is for B2C. The opportunity is massive. The systems are, I mean, not, not legacy systems, like worse. Everything extremely manual. There's a lot of human error in the middle. If we could find a way to make those things much more streamlined and digital, whoever gets that right, I mean, that would be my bet 100% on where I would put the money in the short term. 
in the long term, I would put it on companies that are investing on like getting women more into the industry and that are improving the education around like investing finance money and payments from very early times so yeah brilliant thank you maria pradas great to have you with us it was such a fun chat and brilliant to get your thoughts on on vertical payments i'm excited for what you're going to bring in amsterdam i'm sure everyone watching and listening is as well um so we've got some great stuff coming up anyway that's all we've got time for any final words for the uh for the audience here. yeah thank you so much for having me i am really really excited i think that content is amazing the people that attend the event are fantastic so yes i i can't wait brilliant well thank you so much thanks everyone for listening we also want to thank maria pradas for sharing her awesome thoughts with us we appreciate your time if you want to be part of the money pot please send us suggestions at podcast at money2020.com and don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and we will see you again soon <laughs> <laughs>